0: If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. The last few chances I've had to preach at Edgewood Bible Church, I've been in the Beatitudes, and so this morning I wanted to share Beatitude number 3, Blessed are those who are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And I thought it was an appropriate uh, passage in light of a new year and uh, new challenges that we have in 2015. How many of you ever read G.K. Chesterton? Famous author, um, he once defined a paradox as truth standing on its head calling out for attention. A paradox is truth standing on its head calling out for attention. And, And if you read at all the Gospels, you realize quickly that Jesus Christ was a master when it came to paradoxes. Last is first, giving is receiving, dying is living. Losing is finding, least is greatest, poor is rich, weakness is strength, serving is ruling. Jesus was truly teaching us what our priorities should be in this world. And so we come to verse 5 of Matthew chapter 5, and Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What comes to your mind when we talk about meekness? If you go to the dictionary, the world's dictionary, it defines meekness as being humble, patient, and even docile. Overly submissive, spiritless, and tame. And so in our world today, meekness means weakness. How in the world, then, are the meek going to attain anything? Life doesn't work that way. Have you spent any time in America in 2015? Seriously, Jesus seems to contradict the very laws of nature, right? I mean, just look at the successful people in our world. It's the strong, it's the self-willed, it's the uncompromising, the overbearing, the more than capable, aggressive, and ambitious. One author said, the world belongs to the John Waynes. And it feels as though the last thing an average Joe wants to be known as is meek in our world. So how are we, the church, to define meekness? And, and furthermore, why should we be meek? Let me ask you this morning, are you a Christian? If you answer yes, then your life should look different than the rest of the world. We don't always like that idea. We just want to fit in sometimes, right? I remember when we, when we arrived in Sweden, in the first two weeks, the, the main goal, the main job for us in the first two weeks was to try to go shopping and get the appliances that we needed because and Europe has different currency for all the kitchen appliances. And so we'd go shop to shop, and because we didn't know much Swedish, and because we most importantly didn't want to look foolish, we would go shopping without speaking. We'd walk into a store, and we'd look for what we are looking for, but we don't want to ask anyone for help. And so we would, we would try to, to, to sort out what it was, but without fail, store, store after store, we'd walk in, and then within a few moments, a salesperson would come to us, and they would begin to speak English to us. Right away. And after a few stores, I began to get annoyed. And I asked someone, finally, after a few stores, why is this that I walk into your Swedish store and you begin to speak English? And they looked at me and they said, because you look like an American. (laughs) I wanted to be conspicuous. I wanted to fit in to the culture so desperately. Isn't that true in our culture today? Isn't that true for us as believers? We just want to fit in. We don't want to stick out. I'm six foot five. I stick out everywhere. <laughs> but I'm here to tell you, church, if you're a Christian, if you know Christ, and if you've studied this passage at all, and the Beatitudes, and if you're poor in spirit, and if you're mourning over your sin, and if you're meek in this world, you will stick out. Your life will to be enigma to this world. It won't make sense. Well, this morning I have four points that I want to cover. Four points. First, what is this blessedness that, that Jesus is talking about? Are you blessed? Number two, meekness defined. What is meekness? Why does it matter? Number three, meekness displayed. Where do we find examples of meekness in Scripture? And number four, the result of meekness, the end game, what, what, what we receive. But before we launch into God's Word, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. And we thank you for the opportunity we've had that we've come together with your church, your body, and we've had the opportunity to worship. And Father, what a sweet time of worship it was. Worship in song and worship through communion and remembering your sacrifice for us on the cross. And worship through giving, giving back because you've given us so much. And now, Father, we can continue to worship as we study your word. And God, I ask that you would remove me from the equation this morning, that the Holy Spirit would be the teacher and the guide for us as we look into your word. May we hear from you this morning. May we come away changed, different than when we came. Help us to give you the glory in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. What is this blessedness that Jesus says here? Uh, most likely the word, I believe, has been emptied of its meaning in our culture today. Some of your versions of your Bible might say happy, but I personally think it misses the point. Because when I think of being happy, I think of my daughter when I pull up to an ice cream shop and I get her an ice cream cone and two scoops and she's excited and she thrusts that ice cream cone up in the air to show her mom and And she's happy. And then without fail, usually within a second or two, it falls in the ground. And what, what is she then? She's unhappy. That's what I think of. And, and when Jesus says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit for the is the kingdom of heaven, or blessed are those who mourn, I don't think he's talking about this blessedness as, as happiness. It's not a description of, of getting an ice cream cone. It's not a temporary enjoyment no, it's a description of how God sees us and not how we feel at that particular time. And I'm not saying that there's no feelings connected to this blessedness, but what I am saying is that it's what God thinks is more important than what my feelings are telling me, because my feelings can lie to me. This blessedness is so much more it's, it's a description of those of whom God is pleased, it means to be favored, it means we are approved. It means we have the smile of God on our life. The emphasis is objective, not subjective here. The word blessed actually means to be privileged, to be supremely favored. It's a description of how he regards people rather than how they happen to feel at a particular moment. God's declaration of blessedness or favor is far greater significance than those feelings of happiness that ebb and flow through the course of our lives. And if you were to think deeply about this and look back maybe just over the past week, you would agree with me that too much of the time we're moved to happiness, not because of of what God has done, but simply because things go well. And what I believe Jesus is saying is to be blessed by God is to have an inner joy that is untouchable by the world. To be blessed is to have an inner joy that is untouchable by the world. And so who are these blessed people in this passage? Well, Jesus says in in verse 3, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And then in verse 4, blessed are those who mourn. And we're going to look at those in the context of the sermon. But I want to really focus on verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So let's look and define what meekness is. Meekness is not weakness, even though the world defines it. It's not wimpy, it's not inept, it's not shyness or spinelessness. It cannot be defined as just being nice. It's not a person that just wants peace at all costs. Actually, in the Greek language, the word is used to describe a domesticated, a tame animal. The word has also been translated to our day to explain the process of breaking a horse. And as I was preparing this sermon, I'm in the office at Edgewood Bible Church, and so I'm bouncing things off pastors. And, and Ryan Peterson, Pastor Ryan Peterson, if you know him, said that it actually is confirmed to be a meeking a horse. And so I went to Wikipedia to confirm this, and he's right. To meek a horse, or meeking. And this is what it says. It says, The strength of the horse is not diminished by the meeking process. Actually, its strength is focused for the horse's intended purpose. Meekness is found when strength is brought under control so that it can be focused in the appropriate direction. By so focusing the strength, its application is limited to the appropriate areas, leaving a characteristic of gentleness in all other areas, end quote. Think about that in the context of the Christian life. These animals, these horses, had to learn to accept control by their masters. Some of you don't know, but I live in a house full of women. I'm going to tread lightly here, I promise. God has blessed me with three daughters. Do you know what that means right now? But right now, it means we have two additional mothers in our house, our two oldest daughters. They want to be in charge of poor Charlotte, the one year old. And they constantly want to parent her. And, and Katie and I have to consistently remind them that they're not in charge, they have a mom and dad. And they don't enjoy that discussion. They want to be in control. We're in the process of meeking our kids. Parenting is, is that. But guess what? You probably think the same way sometimes in the context of your life in regards to God. You think, I've got this, God. Or even worse... When you're being persecuted or or provoked to anger or being mistreated, you're going to fight the cause. You're going to fight the person. And your heart then runs to ways to get revenge when you've been wronged. That's not meekness. Meekness is having restrained power when provoked. In most of your Bibles, there's probably a reference to Psalm 3711. So I want you to turn there, we're going to look at that briefly this morning. Psalm 37, we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. Psalm 37, looking at verses 1 through 11. This is a psalm of David and he's going to give us some insight here in this idea of meekness this morning. Starting at verse 1 of Psalm 37, David writes, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. "'Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. "'He will bring forth your righteousness as the light "'and your justice as the noonday. "'Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. "'Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, "'over the man who carries out evil devices. "'Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. "'Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil.' For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. And just a little while the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The overall theme of this passage is for the believer to know and to live out the relationship with God, even though evil people are seeking to destroy them. And they don't possess the land at this time. And you see all the action verbs in that passage were to fret not, be not envious, trust in the Lord, do good, delight and commit our ways. And then he ends the section by saying the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Peace. Isn't that what we're after here in this world? Peace? Do any of you enjoy strife? Do you like fighting? Do you like battling? He says the meek will have abundant peace. So how do we define meekness from this passage in the Psalms? Or how do I define it? I define it as restrained power when provoked. That is what the psalmist is driving home here. When your enemies look to overcome you, to destroy you, when life seems to be crumbling in and around you, look to God and respond in meekness. A deep trust in the sovereign power of God is the key to meekness. And what makes God's people meek is their plain refusal to retaliate and their willingness to submit their lives to the justice of God. That is what meekness is. It's a restrained power when provoked. It's displayed in Joseph when his when he refuses to retaliate while his brothers sell him into slavery. It's David when he refuses to get revenge against Saul, even though at least 20 times or more Saul tried to have David killed. It's Stephen who refuses to curse those that are going to murder him for preaching the gospel. This is what meekness is. A restrained power when provoked. So let's go further down the path and let's look back at Matthew chapter 5, meekness displayed. There are two ways that I believe that meekness is displayed in our world. First, vertical to God and horizontal to man. First, let's look at the horizontal display of meekness. And I want you to consider the example of Moses. And just listen now. In Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, we can read that Moses was very meek. It says he was more meek than all the people who are on the face of the earth. It's pretty high praise, isn't it? But if you studied Moses' life in any great detail, you wonder how this is true. The example of Moses shows us that being meek is not our natural disposition. It's a quality that God works in him over many, many years with incredible patience. In Moses' early years, he was a self-sufficient, and like so many self-sufficient men, He was self-willed and he was reckless. So you might ask, how did Moses become so meek? So meek, in fact, that God says he was more meek than all people on the face of the earth. I believe it took 40 years. 40 years in loneliness and isolation. 40 years of watching sheep. Now this is the first 40 years in his life. 40 years of wandering the desert, tending dirty animals. It took 40 years before Moses' natural spirit was subdued by God and for him to be prepared to serve him. And think of me of what it might have been like for Moses during those long years, those years of testing for him. I'm sure he was close to despair many times in those, in those years, wondering if, if he'll be ever used by God. If you remember in Exodus chapter 2, when Moses was grown up, it says he went out to see his people and to look on their burdens. And when he saw injustice done, what did he do? He acted quickly. He acted recklessly. And he struck a man and killed him. And then he leaves Egypt and runs away for fear. And he begins that 40-year time away. And I'm sure he longed to be used greatly for God, but here he is now watching sheep. I'm sure that 40 years as a shepherd gave him plenty of time to reflect on his sin, to mourn over it, and to learn patience and submission to the will of God. There was probably never a moment that went by that he didn't reflect on the act of killing another man. And he must have thought that he was done for, that God would never use him again. And the example of Moses clues us in what God desires for us. It's meekness. God wants us to be meek. But for most of us, he must break our pride first. He must destroy our sense of self-sufficiency, and he needs to humble us. Pastor Art Azzertia said, Pride always loses what it seeks to gain by its own strength. Pride always loses what it seeks to gain by its own strength. God graciously sends trials. He reveals secret ambitions that don't line up with his glory. And then he exposes our reliance upon ourselves. And then he patiently changes us and works to grow meekness in our lives. It takes 40 years to break Moses into submission to God's will for his life. It takes 40 years to reflect on his sin. It takes 40 years to mourn over the consequences. It takes 40 years to remember the foolishness of being revengeful and killing a man rather than waiting on God to bring justice in his time. But for some of us, it takes 40 years or more. This is more true today than ever. The sad truth that there are those who do not want God to break their pride. And they are unwilling to relinquish their control. And without meekness, they are hindering the cause of Christ. They're not helping. And like so many leaders that God has used over the years, they had to learn and they need to learn what meekness is through the school of failure. Failure. A.W. Tozer has said, It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. There's also the aspect of our meekness that is vertical towards God. Now, what do I mean here? Well, how many of you think that sometimes you know more than God? More specifically, When someone has wronged you deeply, you feel you know how to deal with that situation better than God does. Being meek means that there is a complete absence of retaliation. And instead, we're filled with peace that the Lord is in control. We should be known as a people that are long-suffering in the face of personal injustice. And we patiently wait for the Lord to work on our behalf. And it's not that rights don't matter. They do. When another person violates the rights of another, that's oppression. But we want to be known, maybe, and we should be known as defenders of legitimate rights of others. We're not supposed to be known by our desire to protect our own personal rights at all costs. To follow Christ means to see allegiance to him as more significant than any right that we hold in this life. To be faithful to Christ We'll have to give up our rights, perhaps even our right to our own lives. To be a Christian is to recognize that the only thing we have a perfect right to is the wrath of God. And that's not a right that we want to fight for. We need to remember the words of Peter who wrote, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps." He committed no sin neither was deceit found in his mouth when he was reviled he did not revile in return when he suffered he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly a restrained power when provoked how do you respond when you're faced with difficulties in your life are you entrusting yourself into the lord who judges justly are we ready to 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 listen and to learn Meekness should always involve a teachable spirit. Are you teachable? Are you willing to grow, to learn, or or have you already done that? You're good now. And most importantly, what I think Peter says in that passage and telling us this morning is that we need to leave everything in the Lord's hands. We need to leave our cause, our rights, our future, all in the hands of Jesus. And when we're provoked... We need to respond in meekness, a restrained power when provoked. So we've seen meekness displayed in Moses, but how do we become meek? Well, we need to understand the beatitude in its context. These beatitudes are building on each other. The first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the second beatitude, blessed are those who mourn, for they should be comforted. They're connected to each other. The first beatitude is intellectual. Those that understand their spiritual poverty, their need for a Savior, are blessed. And the second one, blessed are those who mourn, is is the emotional counterpart to the first. These two hang together. For when you truly see yourself for who you are, your emotions cannot help but be stirred. The spiritual bankruptcy you have before God drives you to sorrow And if it doesn't in any way, have you really come to see your need for a Savior? Our greatest joys as believers are found through our deeper sorrows. But the third beatitude this morning has a unique application. Because it's displayed to other people. This is a quality that's interpersonal. It is it is fleshed out when we're around other people in relationships. You can never identify someone that is meek who is never around other people because they're never given the opportunity to display meekness. And it's especially true and displayed when we're dealing with people that try our patience. I think of the young moms that we have here that are consistently tried in their patience with kids. So how is meekness cultivated? Well, you walk the beatitude path. You go back into Matthew chapter 5, and you read and you study and you, just, and you ask God to help you grow in this area. Remember, these build on each other. It's like a staircase. This is rehearsing the gospel to yourself. When a, when a person is truly poor in spirit, he has identified his spiritual bankruptcy. Blessed are those who are so desperately poor in their spiritual resources that they realize they need help from the outside. Being spiritually poor is realizing you are spiritually bankrupt. You need God, and you know it. And after acknowledging your spiritual poverty and bankruptcy, you know the culprit is sin. Not your mama's sin, not the culture's sin. No, it's your sin, and you're grieved. You mourn. You mourn its presence in your heart. What you do and don't do. What you say and don't say. What you think and don't think. And then when you have an accurate view of yourself, you cannot be anything else but meek towards other people. Even when they accuse you. Even when they wrong you. After all, you know that you're a failure. And maybe your failure is worse than their failure. We need meekness in our lives. And we don't naturally exude meekness. And if I'm honest with myself this morning before you, I don't want to live as a meek man. To be meek means to not think too highly of myself. And that's not natural, it's not comfortable. Who is the first person you think of when you wake up? It's yourself. My back hurts, or I'm hungry, or I need to get going, or it's me. I naturally think of me. And that's not meekness. How many of you enjoy it when someone comes to you and says, You know, you don't seem to be very kind right now? I want to knock their block off. And hear me this morning, church. This is the greatest hypocrisy for Christians, especially me. I am quick to confess that I'm a sinner. I just don't want you to do it for me. (laughs) You know, when someone comes to me and, and complains about my sin, I should say, be happy, my friend. I'm much worse than you think I am. But I seldom do that. Instead, I erase the defenses. I'm looking to avoid any attacks, and I prepare the missiles for a counterattack. And in those moments, I'm not meek at all. Why do we do that? Why do I do that? Because I lose sight of my spiritual bankruptcy. I forget to mourn over my own sin. And instead, my focus is not inward. My focus is outward. It's not my fault, it's your fault. I'm not meek because I don't mourn over my sin, and I don't mourn over my sin because I've I've forgotten that I'm spiritually poor. Do you hear the gospel in this? Jesus knows what he's doing. And it's only when you have been so soaked by a clear reality of who you are that it makes you meek. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said, the man who is truly meek is the one who is amazed that God and man can think of him as well as they do and treat him as well as they do. Cheer up, friend. I'm a whole lot worse than you think I am. How do we display meekness? I'm grateful for Arkant Hughes and his commentary in this passage. And In his book, he lists four actions that we're to avoid. And so I've looked at this and, and... Try to put together a put off, put on. And so the first one that he writes is we should put off harshness. If you're mean in your treatment of others, if there's an absence of gentleness in your treatment of others, take heed. Rather, as believers, we should be gentle with others We to avoid harshness. Second, he says grasping. If you make sure you always get yours first, if numero uno is the subtle driving force in your life, if you care little about how your actions affect others, beware. We should rather be selfless, looking out for the needs of others. Three, we're to avoid being vengeful. If you're known as someone never to cross, if you always get your pound of flesh, if you're always plotting to get people back that have wronged you, be on guard. Rather, we should be quick to forgive. And four, uncontrolled. If rage fills your soul so that life is a series of explosions occasioned by the fools in your life, if people have to put on kid gloves to talk with you or they walk on eggshells, watch out. We should rather focus on the fruit of the Spirit and pray that God would grow us in these areas. Church, this is serious. And I'm not pointing out this list to say that if you fall into one of these categories that you're not a Christian. But I point this out to warn you that if they're part of your total person, if they define you, if they are exhibited day in and day out, and you are a self-satisfied Christian who lacks gentleness and meekness, and your excuse is, well, that's just the way that I am, and the people in my life just need to get used to that. If you're not willing to repent, then you're probably not a Christian. Meekness is restrained power when provoked. And so what's the result of meekness? What's the result? Jesus says in verse 5, at the end we get an inheritance. And I simply love the language used in the end of this verse. He says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It doesn't say that after we strive and after we fight and after we overcome and after we have control that we get the earth. No, it says that we will inherit the earth. Inheritance is a term that we're very familiar with in our culture. Do you do anything when you inherit land? No, not really. And in this verse, we have a promise from Jesus That we will inherit the earth. It's as good as ours, he's saying. That is in stark contrast to the world that we live in, right? We are surrounded by people who are selfishly pursuing this world and all that it offers. People on earth are not seeking to become more meek and waiting for the promise of inheriting the earth, no. They're going out every day to earn more, to buy more, to invest more in this world. And while they lay up all their treasures on earth, they don't realize that it will fade, it will be stolen, it will be burned. I cringe when I hear people say that they're building or buying their dream home and that they're sure that it'll be the best place they've ever lived in. I don't cringe because I think it's wrong to have a nice home. No, I cringe because in those short sentences they expose that they're that they're seeking something that will eventually disappoint. Church, we are too easily satisfied in this world. I think of CS Lewis in a section of his book The Weight of Glory. He says it would seem that our lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures. Fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We cannot be so easily pleased. We cannot be so easily distracted by this world. This verse points to a hope. One day, God will completely reclaim this old earth, and those of us that are believers, we will rule with Him. We will inherit the earth. And in these Beatitudes, as you read them through here, Jesus is very specific on who will be blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. He's very specific here. These blessings are unique only to believers, to kingdom citizens who are following after Jesus, who are seeking to be like Jesus. And Jesus is our preeminent example of what biblical meekness looks like. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that was led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Restrained power when provoked. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. A restrained power when provoked. When Peter rebuked him, Jesus didn't deny him. A restrained power when provoked. When Judas betrays him with a kiss, Jesus doesn't strike back. A restrained power when provoked. When he's arrested, he could have called down legions and legions of angels to fight for him. Restrained power when provoked. And on the cross, bearing our sin upon his sinless, perfect body, he cries out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Restrained power when provoked. May we be like Jesus. So on this first Sunday of 2015, I think it's natural for us to review the past year and look forward to what this year has in store. I remember as a kid watching one of those news programs, kind of like 2020, at the end of the year, and it would review the year, the highlights. It would talk about what happened in the world, and then they would review the predictions they had at the beginning of the year, and I always loved that. I loved it for the sports aspect because last year they would they would guess who would win the Super Bowl, and we all know it's going to be the Lions this year. I <laughs> we'll have to have it back next year to review the year. But they would review the year and then they would forecast what the next year is going to be like. And so I don't know if you ever do this as a believer, as living on earth, but do you review the year? What happened? The highlights, the lowlights, the things that God taught you, and then looking for the next year, praying and asking of. An area where you can grow. What do you want to be like? And can I suggest one area that we can all grow in is our meekness? As the as the year now begins this week, I'm praying for myself and my family, and I'm praying for Redemption Bible Church that we will be known as a people that are meek. A people that are restrained. And our power when we're provoked. And, and folks, you will be provoked this year. You've probably already been provoked this morning. How will you respond? I pray that we'll be known as a, a people that are meek in this world. As you interact with your neighbors, your friends, your family, your coworkers, that we'll be known as a people that are meek. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word, how it speaks to us. And we thank you for the example of Jesus. You are a preeminent example. You came for a singular focus to live and to die for us. And Father, through Jesus, you are the perfect example of meekness, a restrained power when provoked. Father, I think of those in this congregation, this body of believers this morning, I think of those mothers here with young kids at home who are constantly provoked by little ones that they love so dearly. I pray that they'll grow in meekness in their response to their kids. I pray for the the husbands and the fathers also in the same area and those that then go to work and many that work with unbelievers and are constantly faced with provocation from those that do not know you. I pray that we will respond with meekness. Father, I pray for those that, as the years wind on and their bodies are failing and they're provoked in the areas that are just struggling now, I pray that they'll respond in meekness. I pray, Father, that we'll be known as meek people. And when people notice or observe, that we'll be to give the gospel and, and to show them in the Beatitudes why that we've recognized our spiritual poverty, our spiritual bankruptcy, and we mourn over our sin. May we point people to Jesus in this new year. May we become more like Jesus Christ, not for our glory, but for yours alone. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.